In fact, if you come any closer, if you touch me or anything, I think I'll scream. got to uh, let you know that uh, I swear a little bit. Okay. And I do apologise in advance, but I'm oh, no. fucking potty now. <laughs> I don't know why. I think I picked it up from my wife. <laughs> no, honey, I didn't. I'm sorry. Didn't Careful. Um, so, I discovered you... Oh, was that... Um, the big group had a Christmas oh, yeah. party. Yeah, yeah. And I think a photographer came up with Aaron Otaro. Okay, yeah, came yeah. Up to me and she yeah. showed me a screen grab. Because I haven't heard of you, right? Okay, yeah. I've yeah. heard of, uh, you know, the designers that exist these yeah, days. Yeah, They've been yeah. around for 20 years. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, oh, fuck. <laughs> this is amazing. So they're in my half-drunken state. Okay, yeah. I would have texted Which is going, the best way to view <laughs> my designs. <laughs> <laughs> I said, man, you are fucking awesome. And I've got to Thank know you. a little bit more about you. Yeah. So what I did was um, I pried a little bit, and I hope you don't mind. No, no, But I've no, got really. this here. I want you to explain this to me. Um, where are we? Where are we? Where are we? Uh, come on, Marcus. Where are we? Okay, here. Okay, now it's dated 21st of October, 2014. Oh, wow. Okay. And it says, so relieved and excited. Fucking hope this is. <laughs> well, this will be awkward. <laughs> it's finally announced. I'm only a full-time teacher till the end of the year, and then I'm focusing on growing my business. Senior Mont Couture in 2015 full-time. If you know a prospective bride for 2015, send them to my site. Wow. God, that is like, I've just got goosebumps hearing that. That's wow, like a man. lifetime ago. <laughs> Talk me through that. Okay, so um, it kind of all started when I was, honestly, as far as my memory goes back, you know, I, my earliest memory of sewing was in grade prep. I was at after school sewing. care. Yeah, yeah. It's that far back. Um, <laughs> obsessed with brides. And yeah, my first memory of sewing was when I was in grade prep at after school care. I remember making a gold spandex Barbie gown at after school care. And I remember the teacher walking over and calling the other teacher <laughs> saying, look what Anthony made. I don't know if they were mocking me or if they were shocked. <laughs> um, and my auntie's always been a seamstress, so I sort of, I used to watch her from when I was, you know, tiny. I mean, she made my baptism gown, I posted it to my story yesterday, I found an old photo. But, um, yeah, I was always obsessed with brides, like, you know, I was page boy at my auntie and uncle's wedding um, when I was six years old and I had a cold sore because I was so excited, I was licking oh. my lips, yeah. So, always obsessed with weddings and, you know, sketching as a little boy. But, um, you know, you get older and you get self-conscious about it and sort of, you know societal norms take over so I kind of you know I brushed it aside but never lost that passion that's for sure I was still sewing doll gowns even in my teen years but um yes yeah, so that sort of got went by the wayside and I ended up going into primary teaching which was the safe respectable Why Why well it kind of was all circumstantial because I when we were younger um, my sister had some hearing loss so um, to help her catch up at school we went to Kumon um, which was a tutoring program that's still around, still quite big from what I understand. And um, yeah, so catch her up at school, we went there. And then before you knew it, we'd been there for years and I ended up working there as a part-time tutor. And then I kind of enjoyed working with kids. So primary teaching seemed like the next logical step. Um, and it's funny, I remember that life-changing moment in year 10. I went to the careers coordinator and I said, <clears throat> we had to talk about what our, you know, 
aspirations were. And I, I remember sitting there thinking I was embarrassed to even say it, but I'm going to tell her that I really want to be either a fashion designer, um, a heritage architect or primary teacher uh, I, I love heritage architecture <laughs> look around well yeah i baroque i'm just yeah i mean not having said that i do love you know the bungalow style and a lot of the australian um, architectural styles but um but yeah heritage architecture is my other thing which kind of i bring into my gowns as well you can sort of see i do love a bit of baroque but um yeah so and i remember her saying oh no it's teaching that's the easiest career and then for the next 14 years of my life I was teaching yeah wow. <laughs> but I think everything happens for a reason I, I initially I used to think you know I wish I'd gone straight into the sewing who knows how far I would have been in my career now but you would know in the bridal industry and fashion industry it's cutthroat and you have to be so strong um, so it's kind of like I don't think I would have been strong enough if I'd have done it out of primary school. So, sorry, my phone's vibrating. I hope it doesn't show into the video, <laughs> into the, the audio. No, it's good. Um, so, I kind of, yeah, looking back now, I think, you know, as hard as it's been, because getting any business off the ground is hard and losing a full-time income, going back to not knowing when your next paycheck's going to come in, it's, it's hard. So, I certainly think the universe, you know, put me in the right direction in terms of timing. So, and yeah, here we are. It's sort of... Um, this is my um, almost fourth fourth full year doing it in the shop, and then um, before that, I was working from home for a bit. So it's kind of like I hard to believe that five years ago I was literally just learning the absolute basics of pattern making and dress making, and now I just sort of, you know, yeah, I sort of look at my gowns and think, wow, you know, when you. It's funny, I heard somewhere that it takes 10,000 hours to become um, the best in your field and I reckon I've given 10,000 hours a good bash over the last few years. It's been relentless. I've worked seven days a week, um, you know, 20 hour days are not that rare for me, but um, but yeah, it's it's going really well and I'm, I don't regret a thing. So. so what happened in those primary areas where you were teaching? <clears throat> Were you doing anything in the back? Were you no. Thinking about well, it? Were you doing look, at all? I'm I'm extremely creative, so it was kind of like I was a bit like a bird in a cage. So whenever something creative would pop up at school, like a school concert or an art show, <laughs> everyone would just roll their eyes and they're like, "Here he goes again." So you know. Um, for you know we had a grade one concert and there I was I um, sewed uh, 14 Elvis gold Elvis suits and you know 20 nurse costumes with you know gold <laughs> red gold sparkly crosses and hats and stuff so um, yeah it was kind of like whenever there was an opportunity for me to burst out into something creative I would just do it with a bang like you know we'd have um, a Christmas walk around I remember my class was given the most boring theme out of the whole school it was just like the city of Bethlehem so I thought, well, I'm not going to create a poster. So we actually made the entire city of Bethlehem with like these, this interactive light show behind and everyone just walked in and said, Anthony, you're actually insane. <laughs> so I, I had to do something creative. It was never... So you could get the outlet anytime there was an outlet? Always. Like... Yeah, always, always. So that was sort of what fed me. But now I've got plenty of dresses to keep me fed there. So, yeah. So that point that you made... <clears throat> That, that um, little excerpt I read. How did you get to that point? Well, How do you know when it was like... I, I started at my first school. I was there for three years. Um, and when I moved, it was sort of with... I'd planted that seed that fashion was maybe on the horizon. Um, 
But at that point, I, I had said it, but I didn't really believe it in my heart that it was going to happen. And then by the time I'd well and truly settled into my second school, it had been another three years. That was the point that I realised, no, I, I need to do this for myself. Um, you know, that daily grind of working for someone and not loving it. You know, I absolutely adored the kids, but the paperwork and sitting at a staff meeting and talking about which grades should be allowed on the adventure playground on, on which afternoons, it just sort of... It was almost a moment that I can pinpoint that I just sat there having an out-of-body experience and thinking, why am I here debating playground timetables when God put me on this earth to make wedding dresses? And that was it. So, yeah. And look, you know, probably a hundred times a day, I've wondered whether it was the right choice because it's very, you know, it's hard. It's hard having your own business, but I couldn't have it any other way. As hard as it ever is, the minute I see every bride walk down the aisle, because that's something I do, I dress them, and I often go to the church, not always, but a lot of the time, um, that they're the proudest moments of my life. So it kind of, you forget all the other shit when that happens, so yeah. yeah. So tell me about the first six months going solo. Um, so I guess like a lot of fashion students, I, okay, well, it kind of started when I was, 10 years old, I remember my dad driving me down Sydney Road and I put letters under all the bridal shops offering to design for them. <laughs> Talk about having a big head back then. <laughs> um, so then, of course, when I decided that I was going to stop teaching, one of the first things I did, I, um, I sent off an email to um, the Jeton boys because they're obviously, you know, I would say among the leaders of the field and, you know, um, ask for an internship of some form. But anyway, that, as you would expect, they're quite a, a tightly held house there. So it's not easy to break into. And they, um, you know, they were lovely, but it didn't, didn't eventuate with anything. Obviously they weren't advertising anything as well. So um, it was kind of like, well, I'll just do it myself. So um, yeah, I guess I started making and then with each gown you know i would um, experiment with something different until i'd get it right and um you know so yeah the first sort of six months or so was just really um you know i was i think early on i hadn't found my aesthetic as strongly um and i sort of would um wouldn't trust myself as much so now i'll find that the girls that come to me um you know, we, we have our base design, but I'll throw crazy ideas at them sometimes. And I never force anyone into anything, but um, I certainly know that, um, you know, if they're, they're willing to give it a shot, that the things that I suggest generally execute pretty well. So, um, yeah, I guess the first six months was really finding my feet, finding my clientele, um, finding out what I wanted and what I didn't want. Um, you know, as a business owner, I think it's probably the first few years as opposed to the first six months mm -hmm. that you sort of figure out a lot of stuff. So... Um, but yeah, I think it's a continual process. My aim is to never feel complacent or happy with anything. You know, I, with every dress that I make, it's like, I, I tell my girls not to get offended when I say this, but from the minute they walk down the aisle, every dress is old news to me. It's like, what are we going to do next? How are we going to push this further? Cause I feel like bridal is a bit of a time capsule. You know, you sort of, when I was five or six, I'd be looking at those bridal magazines and a lot of the Melbourne set was, were there back then and the stuff that they were doing is not vastly different from what they're doing now. And to me, that's, that's where I would hope to be different. I would hope to, in five years, people to look at, you know, Senior Mont 2023 and say, oh shit, look at this year's what he's done, you know. So, um, and I like that I don't do that many brides. So sort of when the new bride goes down the aisle, they say, oh, did you see his latest one, how different it is? So, um, 
Yeah. Is there a theme to you have when you were talking about when you were eliminating what you didn't want to do? Yeah, yeah. Is there a, do you have a distinct look and feel? I guess my main thing is always working with the client's body. The body does 50% of the designing for me. Um, you know, a lot of girls sort of like that um, strapless look or fit and flare and that sort of thing. And I think those styles have their place, but I always start with what their body type is. Um, and, you know, a lot of girls that might come with their particular Pinterest images of the size four models that are seven feet tall and wearing, you know, platform pumps under the dresses, you know, when you scale that to a real woman's body, sometimes it doesn't translate the way that they would think. Um, I'm fortunate because I get to see it week in, week out, what works on women's yeah, bodies and what yeah. doesn't. Um, so I'm, I find that less and less I'm focusing on inspiration from you know other wedding gowns and more and more focusing on the client as my inspiration and then we build everything from there. And that's, that's when you get that unique look that each bride stands alone. Um, so yeah, but I, I am finding that more and more girls are understanding that. I think, to me, style is about education. They they understand that trends are annual or even less than that now with Instagram, trends are almost monthly. So mm-hmm. you have to really just block out all the noise and do what works for your body. And I always try and have an element of classicism so that it does stand the test of time because I think a lot of the, the stuff that sort of trends now on Instagram, it's really going to date very fast. So... Yeah. So walk me through the process for you, client. Just so, yeah, yeah, yeah. what I, I want a potential bride to be listening to this. Yeah. What can she expect? Okay, so I'll start it with the lens that my process is very different to a lot of others. So it's not what you could expect elsewhere, um, and I hope to keep it that way as well. Um, you know, my goal is not to have a thousand brides a year. I, I want to keep it quite bespoke and small scale. My dream would be to do less, to be honest. Um, so with me, I generally ask them to have some inspiration images. Um, we don't have a, a try-on service where they walk in and try on 50 gowns because I don't believe that it can ever capture what they'll get from my business. Um, so I ask the, the client to come in with a few inspiration images and I won't use them to base a design off, but I will use it to give me a lens of what they like. So. You know, if every gown has a different type of lace or, you know, they're all ball gowns, it starts to tell me, okay, I'm dealing with the princess bride or I'm dealing with a very classic bride. You know, if it's a, a winery wedding and all their dresses are very bohemian feeling, then I know that's sort of the, the direction we're going. And even though I wouldn't necessarily do anything to do with any of those images in what I would suggest as a design, it sort of, it gives me a starting point. So I ask them to bring in their images and then... Something that I do that I don't think enough designers do is I'll analyze their body shape. So as awkward as it is, I'll wow. say, you know, stand up and, you know, show me your body. And it's it's so funny because it's at that stage that you instantly find out what they hate about themselves because they'll say instantly, I've got such big hips or, you know, I've I've got tiny boobs or whatever it is that they they feel that their floor is, um, you know, and... Sometimes I'll look at them and think, okay, well, proportionately, because I deal with women's bodies every day, I would say, okay, I can understand that because, you know, you've got a tiny waist in proportion to your hips or whatever. Um, but sometimes you sort of look at them and you think, you know, that aspect of you is flawless. I think that's, it's funny because, and I, I, I understand this because I, you know, have self-confidence issues myself with my body, you know, that sometimes girls, what they see as the flaws in their body are really not flaws. And it's something that maybe they're more aware of than anyone else. So 
I think the body analysis is the most important thing, you know, and um, sometimes whatever their inspiration image is, and then they stand up and show me their body, and I, I, that's the point that I might say, well, look, I understand that you like that style, but I would suggest for your body we try this or that. Um, you know, and it, to me it's funny because some people sort of view that as a, a, a critique of their body shape or anything like that. But I've said this from the start, I couldn't care if a bride is a size 6 or a size 26. For me it's about value added. Why would I put a shape on you that you're not going to look better in than any other shape, you know. So um, I've got no loyalty to a design, my loyalty is to the client's shape. So. Um, so yeah, that's the second step is when we do the body analysis. And the third step, which <laughs> they probably think I'm scoping them to see how rich they are, but <laughs> I find out what their venue is, you know, yeah. where the church is, how many bridesmaids, yeah. you know, where they're getting their bridesmaids from, you know, for girls going to go down Sydney road for their bridesmaids and get a chiffon number, or if they're going to go to Alice McCall and get something lacy and sort of a jumpsuit, they've two very different moods for a wedding. So. I need to know the bride that'll fit in with that, you know. If it's something more classic, then the bride needs to be a bit more classic. If they're going, you know, a jumpsuit for their bridesmaids, well, we can go to town with the wedding dress because it's got to fit the story. So the last step is that I'll ask about the wedding and the mood of it all, and that's um, that sort of tells me, okay, this is how far I can push you. Because I think with each of my gowns, the most important thing for me is the relationship with the client. So I sort of get to know how far I can push them aesthetically. And my job is not to give them what they want, but to give them what they never knew they wanted. So oh, wow. that's that's always how I've gone into it. You know, if, if they're coming to a designer versus a dressmaker, if you go to a dressmaker, you bring your image, you tell them this is what I want, you execute it. I feel like when you go to a designer, you expect more than that. You expect to say, this is where I'm starting, but where will you take me? Um, so yeah, and then I'll, I'll come up with a sketch, we'll talk through designs, and then I'll sort of, there's a bit of education that goes through it as well. So, you know, I'll often have girls that will come with, say, a D-cup gown, a D-cup bust, and they'll sort of say, oh, I love these backless images. And that, it's at that point that you'll explain how the corset structure works and, you know, and you sort of shatter a lot of backless gown dreams by saying, you know, well, unless your bust is artificial, they're not going to sit that way like these images, you know, so you sort of, you give them the bit of education that they may not have or they may want at that point. You explain the difference between the base colours and how that changes the look of the dress. And then, um, yeah, and then the last stage is you sort of, you do up your sketch, um, give them a rough indication of price, and then I'll normally email through the quote. And um, yeah, if they decide to lock in, then we save our names in each other's phone and it's daily texts till the wedding pretty much. Wow. So what, so... What reactions do you get when you send the initial sketch? What are you finding? Um, well, I do it with them here. Okay. So often, and often it's never really a clear path. Sometimes we might do three sketches. So I'll do the first one. And sometimes because I've just met them, they might say, oh, look, I'm not sure about this designer. I'll, I'll ask them, you know, what would you love? What would you keep? What would you change? And then we might do a second sketch. And sometimes it gets to third and fourth. And, and while I'm doing that, I explain to them too that I'm not loyal to a design. So if we have this beautiful sketch, but once we've started the dress, it just does not work, which happens, um, you know, I'll say to them, you know, I'm not going to hold you to that design and make you look not the best you can look on your wedding day. I'll sort of, I'm happy to change. And that's, that's one of the things that I think scares some girls um, who have that control freak nature, which I yeah. fully understand. Um, but at the same time, I think it's the key to the magic as well. That if you're willing to go with the process, that's when you get those gowns that no one saw coming in, you know, including you. So... Yeah, I, I think 
the important fact that you don't have a particular, you have a style, yeah, yeah, but you don't have a particular way of a particular look, yeah, yeah. Purely, I, I find that in our business that you know we never sell a style. Yeah, so when yeah. you look at our work, it's so varied. Yeah, yeah. Because we build it from the ground up. We yeah. we give questions to couples. Yeah, yeah. And we need them to fill out separately. And that way we can start to work out what's important to you. Yeah. What do you want us to focus on the day? So when we create the film, if everyone loves the film that we've done, we haven't done a good job. Yeah. It's too mainstream. Yes. It's too surface. Yes, I can so I mean? that speaks to my soul because I think it's all about a reaction. If you get something, I've always hated the word lovely. When someone calls my brides lovely, it, it, it actually makes me feel physically ill because it's all, you know, in our industry, if you can't create emotion in a wedding and that you'd, it'd be exactly like your videos, you know, then you, I think you've you lost the game to mm -hmm. me. Yeah, it's, well, it, I, I had no idea that you do that with the questionnaire. I think yeah, that, yeah, yeah. It would give you such a good lens to know mm, what they're looking for yeah. and what's important. Like, uh, yeah. And the amazing, because we give the questionnaire out mm. and we ask the, the, the two to fill it out separately and don't share their answers, yeah. like we literally get it back and it's, well, she wants one thing, he yeah. wants another, yeah. or, or vice versa. Yeah. And it's really interesting because then we start, we start creating it not just with the bride in mind, yeah. Because it takes two to get married, yeah. irrespective. Yeah. We want to make sure that they're both reflected in it so yeah. they both see themselves in yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and not just like, yours is lovely, mine's nice. Yeah. So yeah. Like, That's a really nice video. I want to yeah. punch you in the head. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't want it to be nice. I want yeah. to speak to you. And, exactly. And, and couples that see our film <coughs> online, excuse me, they literally say, I got emotional and I don't even know who they yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's I, because it's, I commented on that post you know, last week. You had me crying into yeah, my phone. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it speaks to them yeah, because yeah. It, what you're seeing is not us. Yeah. We take ourselves out and you're seeing them. Yeah. You know, and, it's, yeah. It's, and I think with your designs, I think as you're, as you're dealing with each bride very, you know, very personal, yeah, yeah. we start to see the bride's personality yeah. and not Anthony's. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, that's right. I kind of... I think my job as a designer is to be a bit of a chameleon, you know, I have to be able to marry their aesthetic with mine, otherwise, and to me it just makes sense because they rock it and they feel so mm. confident on the day and they're comfortable, you know, with, with a lot of the brides, there might be an aspect of the gown that I think this is not really what I would do if I had free reign, but I know how important it is to the bride and I want them to feel every bit the queen that they are that day, so you you give them that aspect that they need and you know that it's it's their gown, it's not mine at the end of the day and they have to love it, you know. So it's kind of, it's a bit of a play between my advice but also what they need from that gown. So um, yeah, you're absolutely right. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's gotta be theirs. If they don't own it, they're not going to. For me, it, my biggest, I think, accomplishment is that every bride loves their gown so much and if they can feel like a celebrity on that day I've done my job you know Perfect. yeah tell me how social media has helped and hampered um, I guess it's funny because people laugh when I say this but I don't even know if the first post is there, but if you go back to the very first post of Signor Mont, I, I don't even think I knew how to sew. It, I knew it was going to happen before that, but I didn't know how to sew. Um, and 
so it started way back when and it was all inspiration images of you know Paris Couture Week and stuff like that um, and then I started to make and then you know those you'd start with your amateurish photos of you know the backyard stuff that you were doing from your bedroom and you know stuff for my sister and my mum um, and then I started to get more serious and then you sort of get your first I got my first bride and then I got a few professional photos and I thought oh this looks better <laughs> um, and then you sort of back to the inspiration images because you haven't got new stuff to post. And then, you know, I started to find my rhythm with the sewing and, you know, create having more clients. And that's when I found, okay, social media has got to tighten up now. So I started to clean up my act a bit. And then I sort of went through a bit of a phase where um, I focused more on my personal brand and, you know, did a lot of stories, which look in hindsight, I think it created a lot of devoted fans of mine, not necessarily of my brand. So I then sort of, after a while, decided I'm going to separate my personal brand from Signor Mont because to me, it's it's bigger than anyone or anything, Signor Mont. It's not, you know, I do, I am the center of the business, but at the same time, my vision's much bigger than that. You know, I'm People read what's on my website. It's funny, coming from a school, <laughs> schools spin the biggest bullshit. <laughs> so with all due respect, um, you know, they sit there for a month and write a vision statement with a bunch of people from the, the education offices, the relevant education offices. But when I did my business website, I thought, well, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to write my vision down because I think it, it does need to be written down. And it's funny, I looked back at it a few months ago and I thought it's still absolutely as relevant as it was on day one, you know, that I want to bring back couture to its glory days. You know, I've, I've got no interest in mass production. I've got no interest in, you know, streamlining the process. To me, I want to go back. I love that with my gowns, we have so much hand finishing. It freaking takes forever. It's not smart business wise, but I just love that you know, every now and again, I'll pick up a vintage gown from the 40s and 50s and I look inside and I get how it's made because that's how I make stuff. And it's, wow. it's to me, I, it's 2018, everyone lives in made in China clothing, um, including myself. I'm certainly not above that. Um, but I just feel like your wedding dress is your one chance to really to just step back in time and have something built on your body. And I want that process to be as close as it would have been, you know, in the Marie Antoinette time, you know, it's, to me, this is, it's an escape from reality. It's, it's theater. That's why my designs too, I don't, I'm not really one of those minimalist designers, you know, I'm not, I'm not into looking like glorified evening wear or day wear. When they walk in in their wedding gown, I want people to die. It's just, it's got to be so far removed from every day that, you know, that they're my people. <laughs> Why the name? Where did the name come from? Okay. So it's a bit of a, okay. So there's a few reasons for the name. So Senior Mont, translated, means Mr. Mont. Um, my surname is Montesano. I was Mr. Montesano as a teacher for many years. Ah. So that's part of it. But more than that, because teaching's kind of a part of my life that, that's sort of closed now. Um, more than that, I guess Senior Mont, I, like I was saying, I, my vision is to bring this back to the olden days, the glory days. So Senior Mont to me, it's like this fictional character that I'm trying to become. Um, you know, like your Christian Dior's of the past, Charles Worth, you know, these old couturiers that had this old craft and that when they died, it was gone with them. Mm. To me, that's so special. You know, I, 
my auntie's 67 and she learned a lot of her tricks from the tailors in Italy and 90% of what I do, even though I studied couture and advanced couture, 90% of what I do is stuff that I've picked up from her because she just has these little tricks that you just wouldn't think of and you know, in a modern fashion school, they'd laugh at her because it's all done by hand, mm. but it gets results that you can't get elsewhere. Um, so Signor Mont, I guess, is a bit of an homage to to the old world couturiers when it was really couture, when it wasn't mass produced, there was no, you know, um, cutting of corners and it wasn't mass production and quality was above profit and all the other things. So Signor Mont is a bit of a nod back in time and, you know, it's sort of... To me, it's this fictional character that I try to emulate. Mm. So, oh, yeah. Look, I look. Um, we'll cap shortly, but I think the design aspect of it, and not so much <clears throat> what you create, but your feeling, your emotion towards it, the language that you use that I'm listening to, is is beautiful. Thank you. And it's, <laughs> and it's rare. Yeah, well, it's rare. I guess I'm very much a newcomer, so I don't know a lot about the industry, but I kind of think that's a good thing a because I really thing. don't, you know, like I said, there, there are lots in the industry that have been around for 20 years and they're doing the same thing mm. all the time. And I, I'm all about reinvention. If, if my dresses look the same in five years, I think I'll have failed. Mm. Um, I think for me, it's it's been a calling and I think it worked out well that I did follow the education path so long because it really showed me that I have to do this. I, I can't do anything else. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, I know now how important my passion is and I guess I, the girls that choose to trust me and trust me with their gowns, they see that too. Mm. So they kind of, it's funny. <laughs> Without sounding like a creep, even though I'm not interested in the girls anyway, um, you know, I kind of, once they've made that booking, Mm. it's really weird. I have this allegiance to them Mm. because I just, they see their potential, Mm. but I see even bigger potential Mm. in my girls, you know, and I'm not the type of designer that I want them to be the Instagram girl Mm. or, you know, I couldn't care what they dress Mm. like day to day. I couldn't care less if they're fashion-y or if they're, you know the plainest mm. of Janes, for lack of better words. But to me, it's about, oh my God, look what he turned her into, mm. you know. It's like the, the ultimate butterfly. Mm. Um, so I do feel passionate about that. And when, when they really trust me, that's when I just come to life because I'll give them more than they could have ever dreamed for. Fantastic. So um, again, probably not the best business model, mm. <laughs> um, but... You know, that, that's why I'm here. And if, if it changes, if mm. it becomes commercial, I wouldn't be doing it. Mm. It'd be simple as that. You know, I guess I kind of look, um, <clears throat> when I look back into sort of the history of other designers, I, there was um, Chanel and Chaparelli early in this half, the first half of last century that sort of were doing their thing. And Chanel became very, com- and I'm, I'm personally, I don't really relate to the Chanel aesthetic, but there was Chanel versus Chaparelli and she, the the market lost, her, her flavour was sort of lost in the market mm. and Chanel's was also challenged. Chanel sort of changed with the times mm. and modernised and sort of streamlined their process a bit where Chaparelli said no thanks and shut her doors. And mm. as crazy as that sounds, 
I would be a Chaparelli if it came to that because mm. I, the thought of me trying to be other bridal houses, it's just not in my mm. DNA. I would, mm. I'm doing it my way and I want to be the anomaly and I don't ever want that to change. So, wow. yeah. Amazing. <laughs> All right, so a couple of... Couple of Last question. Yes, enough about me. <laughs> if, no, it's all about no. you. If you could have on a billboard, you could write something on a billboard that would be seen by a billion people, what would it be? Ooh. What would you write? Why copy the Pinterest girl when you can become her? Mm. I guess because that, that's one of my slogans that I, I do say to the brides when they come to me with the Pinterest images. I say, but why copy her if you can be the one that they copy that, mm. that, that gets to Pinterest for your own reasons? Mm. Yeah, um, be the new benchmark. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Um, yeah, I mean, that's not really a, no, it's an good. amazing slogan. No, yeah, it's I'll, good. I'll, I'll, it's when good. put on the spot, that's the one I've thought <laughs> of. <laughs> what have you purchased under 100 bucks in the last year that you've got most value out of? Oh, okay. Um, Anything. Yeah, let me think. I would have to say um, my sister's polo outfit for her hens. <laughs> this is going to drag me into the mud, but I'm going to tell you anyway because I just think it, it, I think it shows my versatility. Um, I was on Etsy looking at vintage Italian doilies and I got this set of eight doilies for $99 from some old Italian woman in Italy. And... Um, her polo outfit's probably one of my favourite outfits to date and you just can't buy lace like that. So I cut up these doilies and no one ever knew it was doilies. Now everyone who reads this, who hears this podcast will well, go no. and check my Instagram. <laughs> it was this fantastic polo play suit that I made for her, but it's still one of my favourite laces. So It looks amazing. And that was $99 for the lace. So, wow. Um, but again, like I said, it's all about trust. So not many girls would say, yeah, Anthony, do your thing with these doilies, but she wow. did. <laughs> so yeah. Um, and... I don't know whether you read or not, but if there's a book that you've read that you would give out to most people, what, what would that book be? Well, like ironic you say that. I've been on a bit of a spiritual journey and it's mostly been through podcasts while I sew this year. Um, and I've come across all these amazing speakers that I've purchased books but never actually read them. Um, I'm going to give you two because they're the only two that I've actually purchased. Yet to read them. Now that my sister's wedding's <laughs> over, I might actually read them. But it's uh, let's just say I'm not the sort that sits more than five minutes. Mm. So it'll be unlikely, but I'm going to give it a shot. Um, so one is called Soul for Happy by Mo Gordat. He was like this um, uh, Google X um, CEO. Anyway, he's so he's, he's written this book about, um, you know... Uh, a surefire method to find happiness. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I feel very fulfilled, but there's there's times that I think I need to find more personal happiness. So that'd mm -hmm. be one that I would read. And the other one, I guess, for anyone in a creative field. So probably my job could be best described as a cyclone, I guess, in terms of the way my life runs. So the, another book that I purchased, which was, I think it was written in the 1800s, it's called The Majesty of Calmness. And, um, it's just all about um, how calmness is strength. And um, yeah, I've related to it a lot and I found the ebook, so I haven't actually read the book because I've been listening to it over and over. But um, yeah, so Solve for Happy for anyone who's on a happiness journey and, um, and The Majesty of Calmness, um, two, two books that, yeah. Lovely. Yeah. 
Well, awesome. Well, hey, thanks for taking the time. No, thank you. And having it's a been chat. It's so good to finally sit down. Wow. And, um, yeah. It really has. It's been, it's uh, given me a lot more insight and definitely inspired because holding, in this day and age, holding the client in our, in our respect, holding the bride central to yeah. everything you do yeah. is dying. Um, and it's one thing that I teach all our videographers. I teach them yeah. the skill set of shooting. I yeah. teach them um, how to use the camera, understand light. Yeah. But I can't teach them authenticity. I no. can't teach them to be good. Yeah. They've got to have it. Yeah. And as long as they hold the client <coughs> central to the day, whatever that is, yeah. it doesn't matter. It's, it's so true. And it's funny because <laughs> I haven't I sort of waited to the end to tell you mm. this, but... Um, there's so I've got a few brides coming through mm-hmm. you who have had siblings go through you mm-hmm. guys and they just have you on this godlike pedestal <laughs> for that reason because yeah. you're so personalized in your mm-hmm. service. But yeah, I mean my my best friend Connie used you mm-hmm. maybe ten years ago mm-hmm. and um when she heard Marcus was coming, she just said, I just love that man. Oh, wow, <laughs> um that. and that's after all these years. Yeah. So I think when you do that, mm-hmm. when you show your brides how important they are, it it just pays dividends forever. Um, yeah. Even if it doesn't lead to business, yeah. what a 100%. nice thought when you go yeah. to sleep at night knowing the difference you've made in those people's lives. So, yeah, hats off to you for doing it again and again and again. It sounds like you're breeding the next generation mm. to do it, mm. uh, you know, in your footsteps. So, yeah, amazing. Thank you, Thank Marcus. you. Thank Sorry you. to talk so much. No, that was <laughs> awesome. Well done, man.